Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. You're listening to episode number 537. 37. Uh, Good for you if you got that reference. I am your host, Steve Say. Uh, Just this morning, I felled Margit the Fell Omen. On my first try in Elden Ring, thank you very much. Bob Ryer is also what, what, what here. What language are you speaking? <laughs> <laughs> I am playing an amazing video game, and a boss that was supposed to just wipe the floor with me, I walked up on that bridge, he jumped down on my first try, I stomped his ass. Me and my wolves just myrtleized him. I screamed. It was amazing. Uh, Aaron is also here. Hello. Hey, guys. John's here too. Yep. Wow. <laughs> Energy just rippling through the room. Oh, sorry, I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm trying to contain myself. We had uh, tornadoes and 70 degrees on Saturday, and this morning we had five inches of snow. Woof. Welcome to Iowa. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we had a, that's unfortunate. We had a snow day today. Did you really? Yeah. It's, wow. It's not as awesome as it used to be because since my wife and I are teachers we end up collecting all the little kids around the neighborhood and they end up here for most of the day. Mm. So it's fun. It's great, but it's a lot. Yeah. Everything was melting yesterday. And then today it decided to start snowing again. And, uh, you know, ours was, I guess when winter's not done with us yet, ours was all gone. I was starting to see patches of green. There was, Trees were looking like they were going to come back, and then boom. <laughs> Winter killed my tree, man. My little, our little plant in the kitchen. It was some of the leaves were resting against the window. The window was so damn cold that yeah. they shriveled up and they died. They were all black. I had to cut them off and start that whole process over again with that thing. Oh. It's still alive, but I was, I love that little plant. <laughs> winter, stupid winter. Anyway, <laughs> welcome. <laughs> to the podcast hello. Hello. hello we have a we have a show for you this week of course of course we are going to be talking about the hottest new bat in town matt reeves's the batman came out this past weekend and is just eating up that wallet getting those dollars making its money and uh we have all seen it and we're going to talk about that later We've got lightning rounds that consist of plenty of comic books. And uh, there's really not a whole lot in the way of news this week. Uh, There was some casting announcements for... uh, Might as well get this out of the way real quick. Uh, There were some casting announcements for that Gotham Knights show 
that they are bringing to the CW. They have cast Harper Rowe and uh, Colin Rowe, I guess is the name there. Uh, the Rowe siblings. And hold on, let me get the uh, the old names up here. So, okay. Uh, Fallon Smythe is going to be playing Harper Rowe and Tyler uh, Dicharia is going to be playing Cullen. Uh, those are the first casting announcements for the pilot that's going to be coming out from the CW. I'm excited to see that. That's going to be cool. Uh, beyond that, they have announced that they're kind of changing their creative tra- uh, trajectory. That's the word for that GCPD uh, HBO Max show that they were working on. Uh-oh. They're thinking that it's going to focus more on Arkham Asylum uh, and yeah. play more like a horror movie than a like GCPD hard-boiled noir. Um, maybe it'll mix the two elements. I have no idea, but it sounds like they're going back to the uh, to the drawing board with that one for a little bit so that we probably won't see that for a while. Too bad. It's too bad. No, yeah, I, like I mean, you know, who Rucka. knows? I'd like to see some Rucka on yeah, TV. Just do Gotham Central. Mm-hmm. You could do everything with Gotham Central. I have no doubt that there will be elements of that in whatever it is that they do, but I think that they're probably going to explore more of the villains. Uh, and I don't know. I don't, who, knows? who knows? Who knows? I don't know anything. I don't have any insider info or anything. Um, but yeah. That's some stuff going on. Another Walking Dead show was announced today. How many is that? Uh, Four? Nagan, Negan. It's it's like like the fourth, the fifth one at least. They keep making these spinoffs. It's, yeah, it's uh, the Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character and Maggie, I guess, are getting their own show. Sure. Uh, So if you're down with the uh, the Walking Dead stuff, that's comic book related. I lasted three episodes. It's called Isle of the Dead. Oh. And it's uh, uh, Lauren uh, Cohan, who plays Maggie, and uh, like I said, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, getting a spinoff called Isle of the Dead, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yep, Maggie, the man who bashed in her husband's head with a baseball bat, are going to be hanging out long enough for them to have their own show together. Jesus. Jesus. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, you know, yeah. hey. whatever. Still beating that Walking Dead you. drum. Man, that show that show has legs. Kirk, Holy crap. Kirkman, who would have thought what he created that that comic that this is what the end result would be? I mean, I get it. Like they're really oh, like yeah. I'll be curious to see what happens when uh The Last of Us comes out because The Walking Dead has been kind of the biggest game in town for zombie stuff for years now. And Walking Dead even though it's not zombies, it definitely has like infected and and people that will resemble zombies, and uh, I'll be curious to see if that takes off in the way that uh, I think it will, because that's a damn good story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that's your news. I really didn't see anything else, unless anybody else knows no. something that I don't. No. Uh, it's been all about the Batman for the last couple of days, last week at least. From the lead up to the the ridiculous success and money that it's making, and uh, now everybody's arguing about what their favorite Batman movie is. So maybe you'll find out later this episode. Ooh. The serial from the forties where Batman gets into Bruce Wayne's car and drives away. 
<laughs> there we go. That's what I want to see. There's your sequel right there. Yeah. <laughs> Throw the court of court of owls in there, and boom, you can do it. All right, let's. Uh, you know what? Since I have a feeling the Batman is going to go on for a while, we should get into our lightning rounds. Ah, uh, Bob. Ready. <coughs> okay. Lovely. Yeah, that's what I thought. Look, first up, as it's the outlier in all this, is the Sartorial Geek number one from Scout Comics, which is edited and curated by Liz Crowder Sirota and Jordan Denae Ellis. This is a best of compilation from their self published uh, fanzine, fanzine, pronounce it as you like, uh, which also sprang from their podcast, something they self describe as for the geek in all of us. I was just wandering around Androids Comics in Sayville last Wednesday, and this was just waiting for someone to claim it, sitting on the counter. And since it features a lengthy interview with Kelly Sue DeConnick, that someone was, well, me. The rest of the issue was a lot of fun, too, with articles on Doctor Who, Twin Peaks, plus a, a quick look at the Scout comic series, State Number 1. So, hey, you know, it, it was there, you got to grab it. Really quickly, Fantastic 441, Dan Slott, Rachel Stott, Eric Arseniega, and Joe Caramagna. Well, it shows us the reckoning war on four fronts, and things aren't going well anywhere. What with Watu the Watcher imprisoned, Annihilus attacking Spire, the, the Macron Crystal under siege, and the possible rebirth of Galactus. So, well, there's that. Shield number two by Rainbow Roll, Roger Antonio, Rico Renzi, and Joe Carmagna once again was a teen things up issue, but it was just delightful nonetheless. Look, in a very meat-cute sort of way, we learn a lot about Jack of Hearts, who crashed back into Jen's life at the end of last issue, despite the fact he's supposed to be, well, dead. Of course, this is comic, so there's always one last chance. Right, true believers? Look, I hope Rainbow Rolls run lasts a whole long while, because this, to me, it's just been off to an absolutely great start. This next one's Another odd duck, as I came to Strange Number 1 by Jed McKay, Marcello Ferreira, Don Ho, Roberto Dodgy, Jada Tartaglia, and Corey Pettit, without having read one panel of The Death of Doctor Strange. <laughs> now, yes, same. I, I, look, I always enjoy reading about Clea, who's the, the title character here. And even without having any of the prelims, I got caught up very quickly with the situation. Clea's now Sorcerer Supreme and in charge at the Sanctum, so much so that she's wearing Stephen's Cloak of Levitation as you would wear a bathrobe, which is really, really kind of cool. Uh, with an agenda she has that includes Stephen's resurrection, I found that set up intriguing, and the bits and bobs of how this plot seemed to be gelling, it really worked for me. Though, uh, occasionally here and there, I found some of the art let down what I thought was a rather empowering storyline. Mm. Finally, from a white comics, there was the wrong earth trapped on teen planet by Gail Simone, Walter Giovanni, Bill Morrison, and Andy Troy and Rob Steen. It's the first of five one shots in their ongoing multiple earth project, which is created by Tom Pyre and Jamal Eigel, where the dragonfly man from earth alpha, very silver agey, swaps places with the Dragonfly from the Dark Knighty Earth Omega. But here, there's another jump into an Archie-inspired world. You can imagine all the hubbub going with that. So, look, it's Gail Simone, so you know that it's on point and hysterical. I had read a couple of these 
here and there over the over the months, and I just saw this and had, had to grab it. I had a great time. Don't know if I'm going to pick up any of the other ones. It might. We got some Mark Russell going. We got some Mark Wade. So you never know. So anyway, that's me. <laughs> Who is this character in She-Hulk number two? Who Jack this of, Jack Jack of, of Hearts? He Jack goes of back Hearts. a long, long way. What is his deal? Is he like rogue, but he doesn't gain the powers? No, he he's a uh, harnesses cosmic energy Energies. and yeah, and he uh, he's a space based hero, and then uh, he blew up in uh, Avengers disassembled, and I think that's the last time we saw him. Yeah, he, he's a cool wow. character though. He was back in the uh, back in the late seventies, early eighties, wasn't he? Where he had like a four mm-hmm. issue. Like, yep. That's when Marvel just gave everybody a shot. They said, let's do a four yeah. mini series of this guy. No, he's got. He, like I, I, I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. No, he's got a long history in the Marvel Universe in the 80s and into the 90s. He seems like he had a lot going on because they definitely give you like enough background. I read this several days ago. So, like, they give you enough background to kind of get a grasp as to, to what his deal is. But, it, like, what, a, what an obscure character to pluck out of the history of yeah. these comics to throw yeah. into a She-Hulk book. And I was like, this is cool. Uh, and that I, that moment with the ambulance is all I will say. Yeah. That was my favorite. My I, I love the issue overall, but that was my favorite page. I really, really, really loved that. That was a nice little, like, one-page bit of Jen doing her, doing her hero thing. And I was like, that was awesome. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it's off to a great start. It really is. <laughs> Yeah. And I hear you about Strange. I thought I'd never I haven't read any of the Death of Doctor Strange stuff. Uh, I've never read anything with Clea in it, but I thought that she was a lot of fun. And I, I hear you on the art for sure. But I still was like totally engaged with the book throughout. I loved her attitude or snark. And her her display of power too, like she she laid it down, and I'm like, whoa, crap! Like, not gonna. And and she doesn't have the she doesn't have the hangups about about saving people that uh, other other heroes do. So it was interesting to see her methods. Yeah. Um, I thought that was cool. I think that one's going to only be three issues, if I remember. Doctor Strange has to be back once the movie comes out. It's true. And we get the snakes back from Jason Aaron's run and, and our ghost dog and, and some fun stuff with that. But every once in a while, there's a panel where she's leading with her attributes that I could have done with that. Yeah, I was I, I was more along the lines of just the, the art overall, I thought was a little crude, like just in the, the overall look of it. It wasn't necessarily my thing. I got used to it after a while, but it, it wasn't it wouldn't have been the, the artist that I would have put on that book. John, you'll you'll know this reference. There is a tremendously Gene Colon swipe, one of the middle pages here. Is there? <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's 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 an absolute pose from when he did Doctor Strange back in 1970 or whatever it was. Only now we've added um, accoutrements. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely a Gene Colan swipe, and that that's lovely. He's one of the greatest artists to ever put a pencil to a page. And certainly one of the great Doctor Strange artists ever. Yeah, but, those uh, were some good stuff back then. Yeah. I, I saw Aaron, you... Go uh, ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to ask Aaron, you read all the Death of Doctor Strange stuff, right? Yeah, I did. 
Are you going to check out this uh, series? Depends on how I feel about comicsology. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> you still haven't uh, put your toe in the water yet, have you? Actually, I had a toe that was put in the water that I had because I forgot I subscribed to uh, the Magic <laughs> Order, so it purchased automatically. Oh. So maybe that's what you need to do. So that was it. So I got to think. I, I've already given that some thought. So I got to. I got to give it some thought. But I haven't read any. I haven't. Um, I read all of the Death of Doctor Strange. So it's interesting as I'm hearing Bob, as I'm hearing you sort of describe things. I, I there there are some answers in the history in the in the in that miniseries that explains what's happening. Um, but it's. I, I'm interested to hear how it all wraps up when you get through it. There were some things that were set in place. Um, during okay. that miniseries as to why she's there and why there has to be one and all that stuff. So I'm yeah. just happy she's there. So I'm good to go so far, but so. Yeah, <laughs> explanations would be good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, why don't we, John, uh, did you read SF? I did. I did. Um, no, I, I, I've come to the conclusion that the watchers are really bad at their job. Um, have been since FF 13. <laughs> <laughs> they really have, uh, but no. I, I it was nice to check in on. Um, uh, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Um, Sky, Sky, and yeah. to see that you know she's put Johnny in the past, hopefully for good. Yeah, That's he it. deserves <laughs> it. He completely deserves it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I gotta get caught up. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Been going, going, got some, got some comic issues going on <laughs> right now. Um, John, would you care to go next? I would love to go next. <laughs> All right, uh, Batman Killing Time number one. So you got Tom King and David Marquez, plus Alejandro Sanchez on colors and Clayton Cowles on letters. So this is the perfect Gotham heist, maybe. Um, Tom King's latest foray into the adventures of the Dark Knight take us back to the earliest days of Batman's war on crime. Four of Batman's rogues have conspired a heist that might possibly bring down the Dark Knight before he can even begin. I know that I've been bagging on Tom King for Batman and Catwoman, but I really enjoyed this. Um, his, his, his King narrative... I thought really worked here as, as oh. it felt like you jumped back and forth as he laid out oh. the crime. Um, I hated that part of this book. I thought it felt like a classic kind of heist movie. Where were you when I talked about the human target? Probably you bailed on the human target, but you jump in for yet another Batman book. Hey, John, you want to finish your lightning round? <laughs> No, I was going to let Steve kind of go have his moment here. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. All right. I enjoyed the classic movie heist angle of that. Um, And then as it all comes together and as it builds to a very compelling conclusion and to quote Detective David Mills, what's in the box? What's in (laughs) the box? Uh, This is a great six issues not 12 uh great art it feel it feels more like king's batman book um and for somebody who got fired from batman dc sure is letting him write a lot of batman books 
Um, next, I read Supermassive, number one. So this is Ryan Parrott, Matt Groom, and Kyle Higgins as writers. Uh, you got Francesco Mana in with Simone Ragazzini on art, Igor Monti on colors, and Becca Carey on letters. So Kyle Higgins' Radiant Black Universe is expanding in this supermassive team-up of Radiant Black, Rogue Sun, and Inferno Girl Red. Um, we already have the Radiant Black mini, uh, series. Rogue Sun I'll talk about here in a moment. And then Inferno Girl Red was apparently a Kickstarter comic in Australia that will later be released by Image Comics in America. And it's all part of this like universe within a universe at Image Comics. Uh, and this story, this issue is the first uh, appearance of both Rogue Sun and Infer- Inferno Girl Red. Uh, classic superhero confusion as our three heroes come together to take on a multiversal threat. They all lose their powers, which leads to a, a buddy road trip as they try and track down the monster that now has their cosmic abilities. Um, you get some really interesting character dynamics because Radiant Black is kind of new to the scene. Rogue Sun has is now apparently an established character. And then Inferno Girl Red is from an alternate universe, so she has no idea what's going on. I'm loving all of these books. You got Radiant Bat Black. Uh, you got Radiant Red that's starting uh, this week. Uh, Rogue Sun is coming out. Uh, you got Inferno Girl Red coming out in the spring or summer. Uh, I just really enjoying that they're building this kind of superhero cosmic. It's really a, a perfect combination of if you like Power Rangers and you like super heroics, this this little corner of the image world might be for you. And then last week we had Rogue Son number one, Ryan Parrott of the Power Rangers as the writer, Abel on art, uh, Chris O'Halloran on colors, Becca Casey on letters. So Rogue Son is a New Orleans-based mystical tech knight with some sort of, I guess you would say, morphing ability. He defends our world from otherworldly realms. The rogue son we meet in Supermassive has a bad night. And really this book takes a twist as we start to figure out who's going to be the next rogue son. Is it the two upstanding children from his second marriage? Or is it the roguish bully from his forgotten first marriage? And the choice is made, and we have a terrible night out for the first, the new hero. And this book is going in a direction I did not see it going, as this is not going to be the established hero we knew, but it's going to be the new rogue son. And the artwork is, is phenomenal. The story was great. Uh, I'm, I'm digging digging the, the, this little corner. And uh, if, if you like Power Rangers and you like superheroes, you might want to check these books out, and I'm done. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it well, is it's fun. good to have a surprise like that, right? But something yeah. you're not expecting shows up, and ah, that changes the way I look at this. Yeah, well, it was Are funny because you... they spent so much time in the super massive setting him up, and then nope, nope. Are you still reading the Power Rangers books? There's a there's a couple of them, right? I am. I'm reading. Uh, I'm actually catching up with the Altarian War right now, which I might be talking about next week. Um, Parrot's leaving. Um, the Power Ranger books in the next couple of months is 
he's moving over to image with Higgins to kind of expand this radiant black corner of the world. So uh, what, yeah. What is your power Rangers history? Because you're a little, you, you, Um, I would figure you aged out of that. I was, I was in college the first time the power Rangers graced the, the Fox (laughs) afternoon, Uh, a friend of mine and my roommate actually at the time, we tended to find the Power Rangers at about 4.20 in the afternoon, and yeah. delighted, it delighted us. After that, I completely bailed. I have no collection. I have no reckon. Like, I, after the first season, I have no knowledge of the Power Rangers. But a few years ago, my son got into to dinosaurs and robots. And so oh, I, and I was like, you know what? Boom does some Power Ranger books. I'm going to get those and see if, you know, he's into that. It was a he was only like 4 or 5 and he wasn't quite into it yet. I read them and I loved them because it's not yeah. it's not the it's not the cheesy you know show. It's actually like written by a fan who's make it's almost like Power Ranger fanfic but yeah, done yeah, really yeah. really well. And I I I've, That's I've what enjoyed the them. the Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers thing that I read. Oh yeah, like. that's where I found Simone DeMeo, Dan Mora, yeah. all those those fabulous artists at DC. They were on the Power Rangers books. That's right. Yeah. So no, I, I'm I'm digging it. I, I the new writer I don't know, um, but I'll give I'll give it a shot because they haven't let me down yet. Did you have a favorite Ranger from the original crew? Oh, I were you a, a, a Green Ranger or a White Ranger? No, Ranger? I, that that whole dynamic always pissed me off. I, I liked I like Billy the Blue Ranger. I like I like the scientific. Can't go wrong with a little the Donatello of the Power Rangers. There you go. Uh, a little no, yeah, Donatello. And then uh, yeah, I, I forgot. I I got blank there. Um, I I could I I can't even I can't even name the original Rangers from this show. I mean, I can. Oh, come on, Trini, Kimberly. Yeah, and then now, Billy, now it's Rocky, Zach. Aisha, and and somebody else who replaced the original three. And the original three now went off to be Omega Rangers and Deep Space. It's it's, you know, I I just I never like I never liked the the Green Ranger Jason Kung Fu dynamic. I don't know why, but they did a original graphic novel of him a few years ago that was really well done too. I think he co-wrote mm-hmm. it, so I'm a I'm a I'm a Power Rangers comic fan. I I know nothing about the TV show. I love when they turn their swords on their sides and start playing them like a piccolo to call their swords <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Well, that's just the green. That's just the green di- dragon sword. Oh, uh, my mistake. There you go. <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you. And I forgive um, you for not liking Killing Time. No, I know. I never said that I didn't like it. I just. I for for the first time in a long time, I found the repetition of time stamping all of the events. I understand why it was done. It just it I felt like I was reading one of those every single page, and it was just it was getting on my nerves after a while. Like it it got to be where they gave me so much information that it was information overload, and I no longer knew where I was. Well, I'm kind of happy think the, I knew where I was rather than in Bat and Cat where I know, have no idea where I'm I at mean, sometimes. I, 
I like the villains that are featured. Mm-hmm. I like some of the way that some of them are rendered. Catwoman looks really good. Croc looks great. Yeah. Um, we've only really seen Penguin's teeth, but whoa. Yeah. Like, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrifying. Um, no, it was cool. It was cool. I just, like, every time I went to go and take a new breath, I was reading somebody's clock as to where we were and, like, you know, their their location. And I was just like, oh, my God. 30 minutes ahead, just, 40 minutes. I ahead. just hope, I just hope that the whole, I hope the whole thing isn't like that. I think like, it was just the we, first book was like that. I think right. now that you've had the crime, we'll go forward. Have the crime and the time. Something like that. Um, yeah, no, that sounded better in my head. All right. <laughs> um, fantastic. Does anybody else have any questions or comments for John? Nope. Nope. All right. Aaron, you're up. All right. So I said earlier that I bought one book from Comixology, and that was The Magic Order 2. So I figured I might as well read it uh, (laughs) since I bought it. Um, And also because I really enjoy the story. Uh, Mark Millar, Stuart Eminem. So again, just a a brief catch up. There is a... An undercurrent of magical creatures that, or magical beings that feel as though they were put in a second-class position, and they now want to sort of reclaim their place on the on the in the world. Um, and of course, as these stories go, they don't really care who they have to, you know, rub out to get there. Um, and they've gone about a very, very clever and intricate way of of getting all the parts and pieces in place. Uh, very much outsmarting our uh, heroes in the uh, order. Well, I guess if you want to call them heroes in the order, um, we have Soren Korn, who is basically, we get a little bit of history about him, who's basically given us some background as to why he feels so strongly about making this change. Um, obviously, some of it is uh, personal, some of it is, if you can even call it, almost patriotic in a way. It's very strange. Um, but he's made it very clear that, you know, he feels as though his kind has been slighted and have been slighted by these the sort of uppity upper crust, uh, bunch of people who feel as though they had the right to sort of shape the world in their order. And now you're beginning to see how art is imitating life and it becomes, you know, but the thing is, it's sort of, it, it I wouldn't say it sneaks up on you that way, but it it is one of those stories that you you walk into the story believing that you know who the hero is, but then you begin to understand some of the nuances between um, the hero and the well the perceived hero, the protagonist and the antagonist. Um, in any event, we find ourselves now with the order basically on the ropes. They are down and out, and I mean really down. Um, all the pieces have fallen into place for Soren and his kind. They have been one, two, three, ten steps ahead of the order the entire way. Um, so much so that basically they are powerless, you know, at the hands of this all but omnipotent uh, Soren. And I have no idea how they're going to get out of this. This story has continued to sort of build on the tension uh, that was created in the previous issue, uh, while at the same time continuing to build out. There's a lot of character development, you know, in this book. Uh, there are side characters and things that are happening over, you know, in the in the periphery that I'll be honest with you right now. I don't know if it, I understand exactly what role they're ultimately going to play in the bigger story, but I feel rather confident that it will. Um, this is a story about, you know, pride and class and, and all those things. And, and, you know, what do they say? The, the, the victor writes the history, 
all that stuff. So this book has continued to sort of impress me. So I'm curious to see where it's going to end. I think we have one issue left uh, to wrap this up. So there's going to have to be a lot that goes into that issue. Um, so that's the Magic Order 2, number five. The next one I read was Last Flight Out. This was already in my comicsology library, so I figured I would dig back and catch up on some things. Mark Guggenheim and Eduardo Ferragato. Uh, again, summary, the Earth is going to explode. Uh, they built a bunch of ships, some last-minute arcs to get everyone off, and the last one is about to leave in T-minus whatever minutes or hours there are on the story whenever you're reading the story. Um, you have the brilliant scientist Ben Kaywood, who stayed behind to help make sure the final ships got off the planet and then realizes that his daughter has decided that she is not coming. He's been a little bit of an ass of a father all along, uh, and they have, and he has sort of arranged for a military convoy or envoy to help him go back and track down his daughter. They find her. She still refuses to go because her boyfriend is trapped. And this is a story about you know catching up with her boyfriend. You get through this story and you you realize, okay, we've you feel as though we've met our objective. We found his her boyfriend. Everyone's safe. They've escaped the compound. They get back to you know the 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 ship. They can they can get back I'm sorry, got back to the chopper where they can get back to the ship and everyone can take off and you're really thinking to yourself, this story is about to wrap up. Okay, wow, maybe it was only four issues. And then some stuff goes down and you're like, oh, I see where this is going to continue. And it is shocking, but not unexpected. And it's a, a little bit of a plot twist. And it was, again, one of those things where I you feel as though I don't know who I'm supposed to root for in this. It's a little bit of a dick move, but it's... <laughs> it kind of makes sense, so I don't know who to root for, but it, I feel as though there, this was one of those. This got, issue uh, was one of those. Go it's got seven secret syndrome. Yeah, a little bit. It's, this issue is one of those, definitely one of those uh, mileposts in a story where the direction changes, and now you're wondering what's going to happen next. So I, I, I am enjoying this. I got to be honest. Issue three, I was sort of like, hmm, this seems to be taking a little bit of time. So I don't know. Um, but this to sort of wrap me back in. Then the last thing I read, or maybe the thing that I read throughout the, the duration of this period of time, is the Blood Syndicate 1 through 10. This is the original Blood Syndicate. I haven't finished the whole run yet. There's 25, I believe. Uh, Ivan Velez Jr. and Chris Cross. Uh, this is the original milestone story of the Blood Syndicate in the same in the Dakota universe. Um, as you know, just as we have the static story where you know he and those characters were impacted by the the, the Big Bang, so were these characters. Um, and these characters are just so happen to all be members of uh, gangs uh, that you know were were in the area when the event went down. Um, and what's interesting about it is that the event is there's some what's the word I'm looking for some fake news about what the event really was. Um, sort of setting the stage and setting the narrative about the the blood syndicate, um, and this is kind of what they are all banding together to fight against. What I th- what I find interesting about this story is that no one is claiming that anyone here is a hero. Um, there, that no one is written as though they're a hero here. Um, you have the main characters, I believe, are Flashback, DMZ, Tech Nine, Fade, Masquerade, Wise John, Brickhouse, and Third Rail. Um, I remember all those characters primarily because they each sort of tell a story that I've, as I read it now, I would not be shocked to read it, you know, in the comics environment that we live in now. Having existed in the 90s, I am incredibly shocked 
that this made its way out uh, via Milestone. There are topics of gender identity, uh, body image, class, race, uh, sexual orientation, um, you know, just, just, you, it just runs the gamut. And again, the story is being told from the perspective of people who are not virtuous heroes. They are not out to save the world. They are just out to save their space to, to sort of make sure that their voice is heard and that their, um, their value is recognized because they're, they're basically they're at this point now where we have more power than we ever had before. We're not going to let you come in and take the things that are ours. Um, we are not going to let you step on us anymore. And we're going to show you how we're going to fight for it. Um, and essentially they're doing this and they're funding this whole thing by basically cracking down on crack houses and stealing all their money. <laughs> so it's, it's again, this, there's, this is not a story of heroes. This is a story of reality. And I think it's a little bit more real than probably the, the, the audience expected at the time, but I am really enjoying this. And I'm reading this because as we have announced previously on the show, there's a new version of the blood syndicate coming out soon milestone. So I just wanted to have some context. I will say that the difference in art from, from crisscross of the nineties and crisscross <laughs> today is unbelievable. I literally had to ask myself, I, I've had to do some research. Is this the same? Is this a crisscross junior on static? Is, uh, <laughs> is there a new crisscross? What, what's happening? But the, the differences are in art is amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm going to continue to dig into it. I got 15 issues left. Um, it's a, it's a good story and you know, no day has promised. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. That's it. That's my lightning round. I think that was his first book. The... <laughs> Go ahead. I think that was his first book. His first artwork was in the Blood Syndicate. It is very. I almost want to say it's um. It it's very nineties. Yes, it's, it's very, very image very comic nineties. Yes, this is the same artist we're talking yes. about on both, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so he's changed. He's evolved. So, so you would say that Chris Cross had made the jump Stop. in talent. Then, he's gonna, ah. no, Steve, he's going to make you jump. <laughs> White people. So, um, <laughs> can so, but no, the the I really, really, I, I wish this is the one time I wish to real, real like video. I wish we could post somewhere, or you guys could see side by side. Oh like yeah, an image of Static now and an image of 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 the Blood Syndicate. I I literally send me send me some stuff. I'll use it for the uh, for the image for the show or something. Yeah, I I, I really did have to sort of. I, it it took me a minute to sort of. I I when I started reading it, I backed out of it for a little while because I really wanted to look almost like I was looking for markers in the in the art that sort of say, okay, well that connects. That's kind of the same. I really couldn't find any. I was like, you, you wouldn't yeah. be able to convince me that they're the same person, but yeah, it's, it does what it's supposed to do. So now I'm curious, you know, which style is he going to lean into, you know, cause I think he's doing the new one. I'm, I'm, he, he I'm is. Read that. Yeah. I think he's doing the new one. I'm curious yeah. to know which style he's going to lean into. So. And I remember this- reading this when it came out and it, it was a shock. It, it was so different to a, even the other milestone books at the time. Yep. You find yourself because the one thing all the other milestone books have is a clear hero. Yeah. 
you know, there's a clear protagonist. So you find yourself, and there are a lot of characters in this book that, and I don't feel like any of them really take a backseat. They just all have their, their, you know, time in the sun, in the sun. Um, so you're almost reading it, expecting to figure out which character is going to be the one that's going to be the heart of the group. And I'm like, well, I guess none of them so far, at least 10 issues in, none of them. Um, and, and not to say that they are not relatable or horrible characters. It's just that they are characters who are, I would say for the time, characters who are responding to their circumstances in a way that's probably more real than you are, you'd probably be used to seeing in, a, in one of the big two. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. Again, the whole funding fun, funding our, our our operation via crack house breakdowns, uh, <laughs> that's shakedowns. That's a that's a new one, or it was a new one. <laughs> so, <laughs> and did you say there's one more for that magic order too? Yeah, I believe magic is one more issue. Yep. Is there going to be more after that? Have they announced anything? I haven't seen any announcements come out. Well, there's supposed to be a Netflix show, so I would imagine. Mm. Look how long it took for this to come out. Yeah. Yeah, that's. it's been a while. I think it was maybe November, December that they said they were going to bring that back. But we haven't heard a peep since. So yeah, we I, shall see. It would make for a very, very good show. There's a lot of good characters in this, and again, um, maybe not so much as in the Blood Syndicate, but there are layers of all these characters. You again, there's no clear hero. There's, I mean, ev- everyone is he's really developed these characters well. Um, mm-hmm. Their strengths, their flaws. Um, You're talking about Magic Order magic still, order, right? Yeah, Magic Order. Okay. Strength, their flaws, um, the history, the family history, the, you know, all that stuff. It's, I don't know. I, I yeah, it's like, um, um, what the hell? What's the what's the other um, magic uh, series that we really loved? Strange Academy? Black no. Magic? No. Black Magic? No. Oh. oh God! Oh man, uh, Aaron, you brought this to the show, and then I read it, and it was amazing. Why can't I remember the damn name? With the magic families and the brothers, and the, or the uncle or something. Oh God! Oh, oh. Ad- excellence! Yes, yes. Thank say. you, thank Jesus. you, excellence. Yes, <laughs> man. Thank you, John. Oh You're my God! Welcome. I got a total brain fart. Um, between excellence and magic order, both properties that I think have really, really great worlds that would translate well Mm -hmm. to an episodic live action format. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, I mean, you know, make a, make an animated show out of it, but make it animated. Don't, don't, don't do that. Like motion graphics, motion comic crap that uh, I saw for, for some magic order stuff like two years ago. The magic Um, magic order animation would have to be, it would really have to be very cleverly done and very dark and very sort of having that. um, I don't know. I I don't know if there's a, I don't know if I could reference a a series, an animated series that sort of has that sort of melancholy about it. It's you can't, you don't have to break your brain. Because they're just going to put the people that did Castlevania on it because they do everything now. (laughs) Netflix has gotten into a bad habit of just expanding that studio and putting them on damn near everything that uh, of that ilk that they have coming out. They need to diversify uh, with that stuff a little bit. Although I will say 
Arcane has some really, um, really cool stuff going on for it. It seems like ever since the Spider-Verse came out, people have been kind of chasing that uh, ingenuity and animation that uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines came out. That's the same studio, but it again, it kind of pushed the envelope of different animation styles. That movie was great, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Um, what was that again? Yeah. Uh, the Mitchells versus the machines. Oh, I literally can tell you, I never heard of it. It's, it's cool. It's like a, it's a family road trip movie that, and they end up fighting, um, like a technological invasion, kind of like an alien invasion kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's very much like a father daughter bonding movie of sorts. Um, but it's like spider verse, it is doing new things with animation where there are points in the movie that you're watching it where you're like, holy crap, this is really creative. Like the way that they're taking different methods and, and blending them together. Uh, that studio is doing some really, really, really incredible things to, to push the envelope uh, in my opinion. Cool. Yeah. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, everybody sounds like they read some really awesome books this week. This past week, I should say. Uh, is it my turn? Um, here's the thing. I uh, think I've fallen off the wagon. You guys, I, uh, I've gotten bitten, <laughs> bitten by the webtoon bug. And it's been really hard for me to go back to my other comic books. I don't know what's going on. But they've got their hooks in me. I read, uh, ep- the, sorry, episodes, not issues. Episodes. I w- I told you guys about Let's Play. Uh, I read episodes thirty-eight to one hundred and fifty-five <laughs> between now and the last time that we spoke. I love it so much. And it's I, there's only like three episodes beyond the paywall, and that's not enough for me. I need it. I need it. It has become my little like soap opera because let me tell you what started off as a series about an indie game maker who somebody ends up uh, a a YouTube star ends up trashing her game online, tanks her early career as an indie developer. He ends up moving next door to her shenanigans ensue and all of their friends and family and outsiders all get involved in the story. And from 38 to 155, let me tell you, it is a ride. I could not put this down. It goes from being like a comedy. It, it still is very funny, but it gets to be a little bit of like an office romance a little bit. And let me tell you. I did not expect for it to get a little bit hot in there, but it does in like a nice way, in a nice consensual way. But like things were getting a little sunstony for a little bit. And I was like, whoa, I did not see this coming. Uh, I really, really love the characters a lot. Uh, I got very, very invested 
in all of the relationships and the the could have beens and will they's and all of that stuff in that series. I was constantly screaming at my iPad, be like, "No, don't go with him. He's terrible for you. Go and be with Link or whatever." And that turned out to be a disaster too. Whatever. Uh, I got really really into it, as you can tell. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's called Let's Play. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of it, and you can read it all for free. So good. Another webtoon that I read or have been reading. Uh, I told you about this one too, called Teenage Mercenary. Uh, Teenage Mercenary is a lot of fun. At age eight, Ijin Yu lost his parents in a plane crash and became stranded in a foreign land, forced to become a child mercenary in order to stay alive. He returns home ten years later to be reunited with his family in Korea, where food and shelter are plenty and everything seems peaceful. But Ijin will soon learn that life as a teenager is a whole other feat of survival. With only one year of high school left, Ijin must master the tactics to maneuver his way around the schoolhouse battleground. Can he survive a year of high school, or rather, will the school be able to survive him? Bum, bum, bum. Uh, the answer to that question, hell no. Okay. This is some anime-ass anime reading for you out there. It is like a scrollable manga, but with a teenage John Wick. It has awesome action, really, really cool use of the webtoon format. The fights are epic. Uh, there's really, really brutal battles that stretch on sometimes for the entire episode. And... Like the way that you're scrolling in these comics, when somebody throws like a really good kick to the chin or an uppercut or something like that, and you get that long view of that fist going up as you're scrolling, it is a lot of fun and does a lot to kind of put the story in motion for you as you're reading or at least it does for me. Uh, it's funny. It's fun. Ijin is just a riot. He's kind of this silent warrior type that is surrounded by all these people that he's trying to protect. And they're also teaching him about what it's like to have a family and to have friends. There's some like bumbling bullies that turn out to be okay. And uh, I don't know. I'm really, really enjoying it. I can't put it down. These webtoons, they're like, they're like a good Netflix series. And you have, uh, you have a bunch of it there. You have a ton of episodes that you can just, yeah, what time is it? Ah, one more, one more. It'll be fine. I'll be a little tired tomorrow, but it'll be fine. Uh, it's really got that effect, hence why I've been sticking with them so much. Um, oh, man, I have a third one here. Um, yeah, I'll, all right. This one's fun. The Advanced Player of the Tutorial Tower. I read episodes one through six. Original story by Bong Suk Gimsi. Uh, art by Om uh, Omagam. And an adaptation by Jung Young Huang. One day, monsters began to appear all over the world. Along with the sudden appearance of monsters, a bizarre structure dubbed the Tutorial Tower uh, also arrived in the neighborhood in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, the tower periodically selects people from around the world and teleports them to the first floor of the tower. The tower doesn't care about gender, age, or physical conditions. Only 20% of those selected survive the tower. Those who do gain special abilities and become hunters, humankind's last hope for survival against the monsters. It took 12 years for the first hunter to clear the tower. This person became an instant celebrity and was idolized throughout the world. 
After emerging from the tower, stories of solutions and defeating the monsters inside the tower began to circulate. Soon, there were more hunters in the world, and these hunters became their own sort of celebrity. There's constant news coverage about them. There's reality shows. You name it. Then, one day, a cursed hunter who'd been stuck in the tower for 12 years and who had defeated the final boss thousands of times finally makes it out into the real world. And this is the story about how the first hunter, who thought that they were top dog, is instantly overshadowed by a far more powerful individual with an ego the size of the tower itself. (sighs) It's awesome. (laughs) It's so good. Like, the thing that I love about Webtoon, and I'll, I'll, I said this last time, and I'll say it again. I'll probably keep saying it. I don't have to think about much of anything when I read a lot of this stuff. I can just have fun. I don't have to worry about vast character histories. I don't have to worry about events that I've never read. I do miss like some of my beloved characters, and I am kind of peppering my reading with my regular comics in between. But like, it's just been nice to dabble in this and take a little bit of a vacation. But it's terrible for my to-be-read pile because my stuff is just piling up. And I'm I'm over there on Webtoon doing my thing. And all my other comics are like, hey, man, come on. Come back to us. What are you doing? Uh, anyway, uh, another thing I did, I watched all of The Boys Presents Diabolical. This is that uh, eight-episode, 12 to 14-minute length uh, runtime for each episode of The Boys. is an animated anthology series. And um, I was genuinely curious about it to begin with, but thanks to work, uh, I got to interview Simon Ratiopa. He is the showrunner, executive producer, and he wrote the Homelander-centric episode called One Plus One Equals Two or something like that. Um, I got to talk to him the other day. That's going to go up on Joe Blow on Thursday. Uh, I will probably share that on my social media and stuff. If you want to go and check that out. Uh, I got to get into Simon's head about the kind of the creative process, um, what he thinks about superheroes. He was also the showrunner for Invincible uh, that we talked about last year. So I talked to him a lot about like superhero violence and what draws him to tell that side of uh, superhero-dom. And uh, I actually asked him a question that stumped him. So that was a fun little exercise and trying to figure that out on the spot. But uh, Diabolical is cool. It has a all different art styles for each episode. And the roster of talent on this thing is ridiculous. You have Aisha Tyler, Aquafina, Andy Samberg, Kevin Smith, Seth Rogen, um, just tons and tons and tons and tons of people. Uh, Kumel Nanjiani is on here. And there's like a Saturday morning cartoon looking one. There's a 1940s cartoon looking one. There's uh, newer stuff kind of in the vein of Castlevania, which I mentioned before. Uh, and they each tell like a different story in the boys universe, but you're not necessarily very rarely dealing with the characters that you already know. They do show up in some episodes, but for the most part, these are brand new characters and brand new stories in that world. Um, and you can knock these out. I knocked out all eight episodes in no time at all uh, to prepare for this thing, for this interview. 
And I like I genuinely had a lot of fun with it. You know, sometimes you got to fake it a little bit if you're doing, you know, a job that, you know, you weren't really thrilled with the source material. But uh, I think it's worth checking out. Definitely. If you are a fan of the boys, uh, it is streaming now all episodes on Amazon Prime video. And last but not least, Nice House on the Lake, number seven. That sure was a that was a short six month hiatus. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't six months. I don't think it, if it was two, maybe three, that this book went away. But it's back, and let me tell you, that feeling that you get when you haven't read something in a little while, and then you pick it up, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be great," and then you start reading it, and you're like, "Oh, there was a there was a lot of information in issue number six. And I don't really remember how all of that went down. I basically spent issue number seven highly entertained, but completely and totally confused uh, as to what transpired in issue six that I didn't remember. Uh, This book is still very creepy and very intriguing, and it is only getting more and more complicated as you kind of do a round robin with these people that are living in this house and... One of the twists of the last arc that we had was that Walter, who is the alien that that basically put everybody there, he has semi-control over the space that they're in. So he is able to make them forget. Uh, The problem is, is that he's lonely in his mission. And so only certain people are forgetting what the circumstances of their of their thing are versus one person who knows the deal uh, and is kind of trapped in this weird purgatory. And so you're watching this person kind of fall apart as they're being isolated in this absolutely maddening world ending apocalyptic scenario. And then meanwhile, everybody else is back at the other house, like drawn up plans for their wish list to add extensions onto the house. And they don't really remember what transpired. It's wild. I love it. I'm going to go back and read the first arc over again, just so I can get caught up and follow along. But um, it's, you know, it's great. Still one of my favorite new series from, uh, from last year. Um, I do have one more, but if you guys are tired of hearing me talk, I can save it for next time. Go, go for ahead. It. All right. Uh, this is House of Slaughter, numbers one through five. This is the whole series. Uh, stories by James Tynan and uh, Tate Brombal. Script by Tate Brombal. Illustrations by Chris Sheehan. Colors by Miguel Muerto. Letters by And World Design. Uh, this is a quick one. Aaron and Jace Slaughter. Uh, Two people who, after shortly meeting, have wanted nothing more than to leave their respective houses uh, together to start a new life. The problem is, is that the people in charge of the order will do anything and everything to keep them apart. So this becomes a survivalist queer love story with giant monsters, frightened children and corrupted parental figures. I really enjoyed it. I don't think that it was as engaging for me as the core series, but it was fun to read another story set in the something is killing the children universe. And I would definitely be up for seeing more. 
there are a lot of different factions uh, and a lot of opportunity to tell different stories uh, within that world. Uh, if you enjoyed Aaron in the core series and want to learn more about his past, this is definitely where you're going to want to go. Uh, and I think that Bromball has a great handle on that universe that Tynan uh, created. It's cool to see someone else kind of come in, like a, tr- a trusted writer and colleague and collaborator, uh, and see them kind of take the reins on this spinoff and do it really well. And, you know, Erica's still in there. Uh, she doesn't have as big of a role as she does in the other series, but um, that's why this is Aaron's series and not hers. So there you go. Uh, and I have Amazon rant, <laughs> but we don't necessarily have to get into that. What's your rant? Or maybe we will. What's that? What's your problem with it now? Oh, you know, um, the fact that some of our friends can't even gain access to their books, depending on where they live. That's a that's a problem. The the fact that that's ongoing uh, is uh, is disturbing. I will I will say this. So the last time that I was here, we went through the whole the whole rigmarole of our initial thoughts of the Amazon stuff. (laughs) I said at the time, we're slightly positive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I said at the time that I had yet to dig into it really because I didn't go through the purchasing process. I did plenty of that uh, in the last two weeks. And it is, at first, it was extraordinarily uh, frustrating and a huge letdown. It's pretty funny that Aaron was very much like they already have fixes in the works. They're going to be rolling them out. They have made a change that instead of redirecting you or, or directing you off of the main page, when you purchase something, they now have a window that slides out to say you did the thing. And then that window goes away and it keeps you on the page that you were on. That's a step in the right direction. Yeah, I've been, but like it was literally the least that you could do it, after all of the complaints and accounts. Go ahead. I was going to say it's interesting. Well, two things. I think when we were make when we were making our uh, initial assessments, um, we were at least I was. I'll say I was really focusing on the app itself uh, because I wasn't really expecting it to be too significant a change to the web page. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really focusing on the app. Uh, the The web page changes just seemed pointless to me. Um, yeah. To be a hundred percent honest with you, there, I just didn't feel like there was a need to sort of change that interface. Um, and so we didn't really even focus on that. That's when you know we were all sort of like, "What?" The That's when it all broke down. Basically, <laughs> you're like, "What the legitimate?" Eh. It just didn't make it didn't make sense to do all that at once. Um, because I don't know how many people, I mean, yeah, obviously we saw in some of the, the Twitter, you know, responses that, yeah, there are some people who are reading from their desktop. I feel as though if you're not going to release a UI that is conducive to that, that allows them to continue to do that without any degradation of services, then why do it? Mm-hmm. So, um, but again, going back to what you're the second part, going back to what you're saying, Steve, about you seeing them do the least they can do I'm telling you, there are they are sitting there. Somebody is writing their notes out. I can't guarantee they're going to push them all out, 
but I, I promise you there are fixes in there. I've literally seen as I pop back onto the site, you know, via my iPad, I will pop it up just to see what's there. And I'm like, that's already different. I'm like, look at that. That little thing there is already different. That user interface is like some, some UI UX guy is sitting back. Okay. UI UX guy, user interface, user experience. It's a IT thing. <laughs> so there's some UI UX guy. I, I keep forgetting I'm not at work. There's some UI UX guy who's sitting back somewhere saying, we need to figure out how to, to, to quiet them down on Twitter and make some, <laughs> some, some changes. So I know they're back there, but it's right now it's the, the, yeah. Not not the greatest. Um, I'll tell you one thing about the app that for 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 iPad, like the one that I'm using, like I said last time, and I still hold to this. Not not a whole lot has changed about the app on iPad. The way that I'm reading things, it's more or less the same. I still have the zoom. I still have to tilt the iPad on its side to, to read certain things. I don't love the next page swipe when you have something in landscape mode, but whatever. And I also, I ran into a comic that actually had a page cut off at one point. um, And it was really, really difficult to follow the panel layout. Maybe I should have used guided view, but I shouldn't have to. Uh, But one of the things, and maybe you can change this and I just don't know, but one of the things that's driving me crazy the way that I keep track of my books and what I've read is Comixology used to show you yeah. the latest mm-hmm. or the last issue of the thing that you read, yeah. not the first. Yeah. Having everything default back to the first issue cover and only give you that little bubble with the numbers of issues that you've purchased or that are in your library, I hate that you yeah. can filter it, but it's not the same. Even the filter yeah. is buggy and kludgy. I have completely and totally lost all grasp of what I've read over the past couple of weeks since they fucked with this stuff. Yep. So what I will say also, I, I don't know if maybe I don't haven't seen it yet, but I also used to like the being able to at least quickly with one click slide to the right and get book information um, yep. and then being able to see it in the series. So I can see, okay, am I behind? Am I up to date? You can't do that anymore, at least not, not easily. I will say there are a couple, yeah. going back to what you were saying, Steve, there are a couple of kludgy things about the page being cut off. I, I have read, a couple times I have read um, a book and realized, feel like, why do I feel like I'm skipping things? I feel like there's th- things that happen. Then I realized that the book, for whatever yeah. reason, has opened up in like a Zoom. So it's literally skipping things. And so I have to tap it to get it back in. So I thought, okay, maybe it's just one of my iPads. So, okay. First world link. I have two iPad Pros. Um, and so I have read it on both the M1 iPad Pro and then the old iPad Pro. And it's the same on both. So it's not like the it's not the device, but it will when you first open up the book, it'll literally, especially if you're using guided view, it'll literally open it up in a zoom. So you click it or you swipe it, it'll swipe and it'll give you the impression that you're reading along, even in a guided view, then you come to realize well, something's not right. The story's not making sense. And then this just happened to me last night. I double tap it to go back to the full page view and realize, shit, it literally skipped past like a third of the page. Um, and yeah. I have to go back now and then put it in guided view. And then, okay, now, now this makes sense. Um, and it's happened over and over and over again. And also there are a couple of the, the, the responsiveness to the, like you said, Steve, to the swiping to, to change the page. Yeah, that's a little off. 
that's a little different. Um, it's not as it's sometimes it seems hypersensitive. Other times it seems like it's not responsive to me. Um, just the the searching and filtering for things. If you're watching the, the searching and filtering for things, um, the tallies that are tracked in the the then filtering options, uh, whether which read, what's unread, what's in progress, those change. Yeah, and it's not really obvious as to whether or not you're on the farthest out page, or do you, do I need to? Am I am I drilled down further than I thought I was? Do I need to scroll back, uh, drill back out? It's it's not super intuitive um, at certain points. So it's 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 Dark Ages. Sorry, that's what I was reading. I was reading Dark Ages, and that was the book that was bouncing all over the place, and I had no idea. Like I I was reading panels, and I'm like, oh no no no, no no, it was House of Slaughter. No, it was totally how I'm sorry, it was totally House of Slaughter that I was getting lost in. Um, and that was in landscape view, and it was just throwing me all over the page. And I had to flip between pages to read like panels from the bottom left quadrant and then flip the page and then read the ones in the bottom right quadrant on that page and then flip back. And it was just it was it was a nightmare. I didn't know what the hell was going on for a few minutes. So now I also know on the website, because I was just testing this uh, when we were uh, getting ready earlier before the show, um, I remember when we were first talking about it, I think, Bob, you'd asked a question or someone asked a question about whether or not you can sort or filter out which one, which, what just came out versus other weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that filter was initially on the main page. If you scroll all the way to the bottom on the main page, I realized mm-hmm. today they've shifted it. So now I literally had to search for it and sort of go into the new releases and then into that, something else, and then scroll all the way down to the bottom. And then it came up, but it took me about, I don't know, five or ten. So they're moving things around. They're doing things. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know if they're going to settle on it. I, I don't know. It's just a, uh, I have chosen to take this period of time while they're getting it together to dig into the stuff that is in my library that I had been meaning to get back to and reading and or going into any one of the services that I'm paying for and reading some of that stuff um, yeah. for now. So mm-hmm. I'll be fine. You know, like I, I wish that I had the space and then the time to go to my shop every week and, and do the whole thing all over again. But I just, I just don't, I don't, I, I go there for certain things. I pick up collections, I pick up trades from them. I special order a couple of things that I want to, you know, want to support. Uh, but I just, this is, this is where my stuff is, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future. And just, uh, man, there are just some things, things that were there and now they're not there that I didn't realize how vital they were to my enjoyment of going to check these things out. Like it shouldn't, shouldn't have taken me so long to figure out that it was house of slaughter because there, I want that tab back that says recently read and it shows me, you know, the last few things or the last 20 things that I've been reading. And I can look at that little strip of comics and go, Oh, right. That was the one. Yeah. So instead, I have to scroll, 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 scroll to figure it out. And it's not even on the first page. I think the thing that's really so off-putting right now to me is just the the one-click thing. 
just to yeah the multiple receipts is garbage i have so many emails it just of, you know thank you for your purchase thank it, you for your purchase it just seems like a waste and i listen i know no one's going to die from any of this stuff i get it it's not you know this isn't like end of the world stuff we understand it. we're just talking about from nerd a, world problems from, yeah exactly <laughs> we're just talking about from a, a usability perspective and a why do this perspective? Um, I just don't understand. My my use case for this was very simple before. I would literally, you know, on Wednesday or Tuesday, depending on which day, uh, sitting here in my home office and I got like a crap ton of monitors in front of me. One of them is my iPad over to my right. And, you know, at some point, you know, either while I was trying to shove a half a sandwich in my face so I can continue to work without having to actually get up and do anything, I would lean over to the right and, you know, pull up the Comixology page and just go click, 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 click. Make sure I saw what was in my cart. I would literally be able to, like, pull it, sometimes pull it from the list of what we're looking for, the notes that I would take of what we're looking forward to. Click, 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 click. Literally take me about 65 seconds. Click purchase, we're done. And then yeah. call it a day. Um, opening it up and then realizing I have to go through and then go back and make it just it. I don't want to give over that time when I'm in a rush in the middle of the day. And then by the end of the day, I'm sort of like, eh, I'm too tired. I don't really care to do this anymore. And you got to make sure you keep track of all that stuff because you don't, I don't know what their double buying process is. I don't know if maybe they'll send you a warning like you already own this. I don't want to think, I don't want, I, I guess the part, the, my point is, I don't want to have to think about it that hard. Right. I don't want to have to think about it that much. I just want to be able to go in and yeah. make my quick purchase there was, and get out. There was definitely a point last week when I was buying my books where I was like, did I get this one already? Yeah. And then I just said, well, I'm going to buy it again. And I hope that, you know, I hope it's cool. And it, it turned out to be fine. But I just, mm, mm. So, mm. like they just, they don't, uh, okay, we should, we should move on. I could talk about this all night. <laughs> <sighs> Calm blue ocean. Breathe. Let's talk about the Batman. Bum, 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 bum. All right. If you uh, if you don't know the deal for uh, movie reviews on this podcast, if you are just tuning in, we will do a spoiler-free section first. And then we will uh, we'll call spoilers. We'll give you time to tune out if you need to. If you uh, haven't seen the movie, you want to go see it, whatever you got to go do, go do it. And then come back and listen to all the thoughts and feelings about the hottest, latest comic book film that has uh, hit the screens. So uh, speaking of which... The latest movie is The Batman from director Matt Reeves with uh, R. Pats as Bruce Wayne slash Batman and Zoe Kravitz as Selena Kyle Catwoman and a whole bunch of other really amazing people that I'm sure that we'll talk about in the next little while. I would love to hear what John thought of the movie. I love this movie. I'm, I was looking forward to it. I I'm a big like Christopher Nolan fan, uh, Batman movies, but I like the sensibilities of of the Tim Burton movies, and I mm-hmm. felt that there was a, a a nice melding here uh, of some of that. I I love the the bare bones Batman, the kind of you know Batman on a budget, you might say, 
And there were so many, there were so many Silver Age and Bronze Age callbacks in this movie. I I don't know if Matt Reeves is a fan of the Batman comic books, but there were just so many little hints and drops throughout this movie that I I was you know I was getting my fanboy glee going on um, every now and then. But I thought it was it's three hours long. It didn't feel three hours. It's got great pacing. Uh, I, I have never, the only thing I, I think I've ever seen Robert Pattinson is, is Tenet. And so everybody else who's like, my, like my brother is like, that's the eclipse guy, right? The twilight guy. And I was like, I don't know. I just, uh. I just know that he killed it in this role. I could feel his pain as Bruce Wayne and as Batman, um, I just I think Matt Reeves. I, I love the Planet of the Apes movies and and Cloverfield and some of the things that he's done. This movie was dark, murky, and, and it felt like the Gotham I wanted to be in. And Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, I blew me away. Great, <laughs> just blew me away. I mean, I knew he was going to be good. He was awesome, and I loved, I loved their classic Silver Age relationship where they were partners. They they are. Uh, uh, partners in you know solving crimes because he's the only person that you know Gordon can trust and and I just thought that was so well done and I mean Colin Farrell I didn't even recognize him as as the penguin he was great he was so good John Turturro as as Falcone yeah what was just scary that this this cast was was great amazing Paul Dano's I love that they did like the Riddler slash Zodiac killer mix and it ties into <laughs> what's going on in today's world with the internet and, and, and him and his 500 and followers his, with that 500 followers are all deranged maniacs. It, I know. I just thought that was crazy. a really weird number to put out. There. I know. No, I, 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 I'm, I'm so glad that I got to see it. I was a little worried. I had some stuff going on this weekend. <laughs> I did make the, the the mistake of taking my son who his bladder needed to, to be evacuated at certain times that it I needed to watch the movie. But we made it, we got through, and it's uh it's a hell of a ride. It, it, it's a damn good movie. All right. Mr. Bob. All right, let me just get right to it and just say, as of course, <laughs> this is all my opinion, so no wagering. Okay. Um Movie just didn't do it for me. I've liked some other films by Matt Reeves. Cloverfield let me in. Certainly this just didn't capture me. I found the plot just wound back around on itself. A little too convoluted to begin with. Something I've seen already. Um, I didn't see much in the way of actual characterization beyond the things you'd kind of expect to see. Uh, obviously, yeah, the, the Gordon stuff. But we, I've, we've seen this before. To, to me, just lots of it. Um I thought I found the pacing awfully languid, I guess it'd be the old fashioned word for this. It just sort of sat there. Um, the cinematography, I didn't find anything special. It is very, very dark. I mean, I think it's so dark that honestly, unless you're rocking a 10 foot screen for your home theater, uh, you look at those two and three shots. I don't know if you're going to be able to see anybody, uh, I, you know, it, it's sort of a, to me, a, a, you mentioned the Nolan movies, John, it's sort of a cross between Nolan and Snyder 
in that you've got this dark brown orangey stuff going on. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I've heard a lot of people comment on this sort of this cross between Zodiac and Seven. Yeah, it's also Saw at a certain level. Yeah, uh, and it's also Halloween too. With I said, I, 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 we're into spoiler territory. So I won't say too much about. Uh, the Riddler at this point will save that. Some performances are good. I always like watching Totoro. But, yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of this film at all, uh, except, well, I got some good popcorn at a $5 ticket price, you know. So there, <laughs> there was that. <laughs> they didn't charge you more to see the Batman than, uh, uh, than here, other Here movies. in New York, AMC is, in Manhattan is charging $18. Whoa! And even out, even out here, the AMC theaters are are, are ratcheting up to a, a fifteen and above. I think, I I think our, our tickets. I I ended up paying a lot of money to see this movie. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, all right. Any other thoughts before uh, before we move on, Bob? Nothing that doesn't get into. Well, yeah. I. I have plenty of thoughts, but it, we get into spoiler territory. So I'll, I'll just say this. Okay. I thought there was a chance for this to be an interesting, really engaging procedural. And we were talking about GCPD before, and I it didn't happen for me. Okay. Aaron, what say you? <laughs> I know y'all are waiting <laughs> on the edge of your seats. I don't know why. But um, <clears throat> what I liked about this movie, there were no pearls. I <laughs> have to spend an hour and 30 minutes hearing someone tell the Batman's origin story. Um, I didn't have to have everyone's background and purpose and reason shot out at me for the first hour and 30 minutes. That's something that has typically bugged me about um, specifically the Superman Batman franchise, primarily because there's been so many of them. Um, so I don't know if that's ever been necessary. Um, I also enjoyed that. It's interesting to see that Jeffrey Wright's per, uh, relationship as commissioner Gordon um, I enjoyed the way he was sort of positioned as the the sort of outsider. What I also enjoyed, um, was, and I didn't realize why I was enjoying it until almost the, I don't know, like third act, if you want to call it that, was that in, well, there's two things. One is that hearing this story in 90 or 88 um, a Batman story in 88 hits a little bit differently than hearing a Batman story in 2022 from the perspective of what his actual origins are and how they impact the, the world around him mm -hmm. um, without getting into spoilers, a character called it out and, um, you know, in the third act of the film, uh, the differences between what, what it really means to be an orphan um, without going into spoilers again. 
um, that hits a lot differently through the eyes of 2022 viewers than it does through the eyes of 1988 viewers and then subsequently all belong because the world's relationship with wealth and class has evolved in such a way mm-hmm. that now you're, you're going to look back and you're, you, you might find a scene where the pearls hit the floor and then the next scene is everyone caring for this little orphan boy. You, it might hit differently now. And I think that may have had some impact on to how they were going to tell this story and what the, the motivation for the story, what for the, pro, the antagonist was going to be. Um, the last thing I, not the last thing I liked about it, but the, uh, the the next thing I, I say I liked about it was, and I have to wonder how they felt about the fact that this movie was told in animated form over the last three years. So, because there were almost every callback in this movie <laughs> was made to Hush and the Long Halloween <laughs> as I was watching. I'm like, this movie is very much taking from these things. Um, now, what I didn't love um, at times was that I, I didn't like Catwoman ever being a damsel. Um, I didn't so much love, from a character perspective, a character development perspective, I didn't so much love the relationship with Alfred. Um, that kind of bothered me especially when we go back to talking about the relationship with Gordon. Um, I feel as though throughout the film, he said more nice and encouraging things about people he barely knew than he did about the person who raised him or to the person who raised him. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I, and, uh, I and uh, I also, didn't always love that everything was so um what's the word I'm looking for? Some some of the the points that were being made were very, very much on the nose. Um and and I think sometimes when that happened, because I do feel like the the story that was being told sort of sets itself apart from previous versions of the story. In that it does create, it is leaning a little bit more into the the mystery and the detective aspect of Batman instead of the punch you on the side of the head Batman that we've gotten, you know, over the years. Um, and but sometimes I feel like there were a couple of points, and this is just a really nitnoy thing. Some of the points were um, very a little bit too on the nose. I expected the the solutions to be very smart and very intricate, and it turned out that they weren't always and also there was almost never two women talking to each other in this entire movie but other than that um you know it is what it is that's it that's my sort of high level non-spoilery so i i didn't hate the movie i i enjoyed myself in the movie um but obviously there were things i you get you get a lot of credit for me if you don't tell that origin story again so i'll just say that, (laughs) that that buys you a lot of credit i felt the same way about man of steel come at me if you want to i don't really care I felt the same way about Man of Steel. You got some extra points from me because you didn't make me go through that whole story again. So, 
That's how I feel. All right. That's how you feel. How do I feel? Let me tell you, when I saw Ben Shapiro tweeting that the Batman was bad, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to love this. <laughs> I'm going to love this. I'm going to love because you hated it. I'm going to love it. I will make no bones about it. I absolutely loved this movie. I was just enraptured by it from beginning to end. I love, I'm a huge fan of like David Fincher's cinematography and at least his, his, the way his movies used to look the the perfect circle Judith video that he filmed fight club to an extent, but some of it seven, especially uh, you could see the, the hints of that throughout this movie, but I really enjoyed the way that the movie was shot. I've seen, you know, a lot of people saying it was out of focus. It was this, it was that it was too dark. We had a very nice screen that we saw this on. And I'm sure that that went a long way, but I also felt as if they used the darkness in this movie to their advantage. Um, Those scenes, this is not a spoiler, but like scenes of Batman walking out of the dark, like the, the, the audio equipment that we had in this theater when he's walking out of the shadows and you could hear almost like spurs on his feet as he's walking forward. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where he was coming from until you knew exactly where he was coming from. And it was just, it was wild. Like they did it like two or three times in the movie. And every time I was just like, where is he? Where's the Batman? <laughs> so I really, really enjoyed the overall look of it. I, th- I thought it was for as dark as it was, very stylish. A lot of that was practical effects. There's a really uh, interesting hallway sequence with him that was shot all in practical. No, no special effects were used in that, which I thought was really cool. And um, I love the score. I don't necessarily, as much as I am a music person, scores don't always stand out to me. Certainly never in the Marvel movies. I don't remember ever walking away from a Marvel movie, having an opinion about the music, but I have been listening to the score for the Batman literally ever since we've gotten out of the theater. Um, it's a great thing to, it's really long so, because it's a three hour long movie. So you've got plenty of content there and I just throw it on during work and it's been really nice. I wrote uh, my latest script to it. And so it's been a really nice companion piece to the movie, but I, if you ask me what my ideal Batman is I like the detective ass Batman Batman and the fact that this movie leans leaned more into the detective elements for me than I've seen in movies past or at least in recent memory you all know how crappy my memory is but like I remember Michael Keaton dabbling in that a little bit maybe Christian Bale's character but never to this extent where we're following the clues through the mystery, whether that mystery was like super well plotted or not. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm just talking about the act of going through the motions of trying to figure out who the Riddler is, what he has planned, uh, so on and so forth. I liked the time period that this was put in, that we are getting this kind of petulant, 
vengeance-filled, angry Batman at the start of the movie. Um, and I really, really, really liked Robert Pattinson's Batman almost immediately. Like I was waiting to hear his Batman voice because I hadn't heard it, heard it at all in any of the trailers. And so I was waiting for him to open up his mouth. And he starts talking. And I'm like, yes, nailed it. Great, great Batman voice. Bruce Wayne took a little bit of getting used to, but I feel like he was unlikable on purpose. And that if this Batman movie, again, for me, has anything over the other Batman movies that I've seen, was there was actual growth of character happening in this one, that he arrives in this movie as vengeance and he leaves it having a different coda by the end through his experiences with chasing down the Riddler and, you know, the finale and everything that we'll talk about in a little bit, but things dawned on him. He had the tables turned on him at one point that I'm not going to spoil here, but the look on his face, there were like two or three moments throughout this movie where Batman learned a lesson about kind of the way that he's been going about things and how wrong and twisted his version of honoring his parents and his mission was and that he needed to be put in his place. I liked that this movie brought up a lot of social issues and brought up the idea of him and his money and whether or not he's doing enough for Gotham or without and kind of calling him out on his privilege because we really haven't seen that in a Batman movie before, uh, again, that I can remember. And of course, that's going to be a part of the narrative in a 2022 Batman movie because we've been living in it for the last, I mean, forever, but for especially the last several years that those themes have been very vocal and very prevalent in, in pop culture and entertainment. But good on Matt Reeves for taking the temperature of the room and using it to tell a part of the story and applying it to Batman's character and actually teaching him a lesson throughout the journey and coming out the other side, um, having a different approach to his, you know, superheroing around Gotham. Um, God, there's so much more that I could say, but I feel like we should, we should go into spoilers before I screw anything up. Um, so, uh, I, Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were done. Well, let's let's call spoilers now. Uh, if we're three, two, one. If you haven't seen the Batman, go see the Batman and come back. Uh, everything is fair game from here on out. So, Aaron. So go what ahead. I was going to say is what I really, really appreciated about your assessment just now was the uh, the point of what you said. He, uh, we've never seen his privilege. Uh, be questioned in yeah. a movie before, and I feel like we've seen it questioned in almost every Batman movie, but it doesn't hit the same yeah. as it does yeah. with this movie. It wasn't as in your face. It wasn't as direct because Selena Kyle, to his face, tells him about his privilege, and like I said, the look on his face when he is soaking that information in. And me sitting there watching this happen on the big screen around all these people and knowing that these are aspects of the film that are pissing off a bunch of these, you know, dude bros 
<laughs> that are following the Shapiros of the world, and this is what's pissing them off about this movie. Good, I'm <laughs> eating it up. Okay. So the Riddler called him on his privilege. Now, I am not one to to cheer on a sociopath often. Well, but he kind of made the most salient point of this movie in in what he was talking about when he said cuz and I'm going to sort of give you the reference I'm talking about when he was talking about how all of this stuff was promised to the orphans of Gotham and to the, 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 those in need in Gotham, the renewal program, all of this stuff was promised. And then, you know, for everyone, for every orphan, for every child who was in need, for every child who was suffering, who was in the orphanage and like having to deal with all kinds of horrific things. But then the Waynes were killed and all anyone cared about was the most cared for <laughs> you know, privileged yeah, yeah. kid in the city. And that goes back to the argument that you hear all the time about, you know, when you hear stories like, all right, well, you know, there, there was, I don't know, you, in DC last week, there was the, um, the anniversary of a little girl who went missing, like, I don't know, eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. Her name was Relisa Rudd. Um, and it was uh, a, a, a horrible story and it was brought up because it was so rare that a little girl of color is is in the news or a little person of a person of color is in the news when they go missing but you know if so and so goes missing while they're on you know vacation in Cancun then the world sits on the edge of their seat until it's resolved and it was sort of hitting at that level for me when I was sort of watching it because it's sort of like yeah he's he's I, I'm not saying he should go and you know, and blow up uh, Gotham Square Garden and do and flood the whole city over this stuff. But he's <laughs> his anger at that is is justified in the sense that he was given hope, and then hope was snatched away and given to the most privileged person in the city. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that that's kind of the point I was making when I said it hits entirely different now, especially now we're talking in the in in the zeitgeist about privilege and what that means you know in america and how people are perceiving it differently now and how it's become such a divisive topic you know so what what does that mean so that's why i say it hit a little bit differently this time around and i appreciate that and i feel as though because of that if they were smart if they were smart they had to sort of write it that way because then it would be you know a little Weird, but I did see a funny thing on Instagram earlier that said Batman was almost taken down by a content creator. <laughs> um, can I jump? Can I jump in for a second? Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, uh, just be, before I forget. So the Alfred thing. Um, when I piped up when you were talking about Alfred, I was talking to my friend Alex earlier today, and he was saying how he felt that uh, Alfred was underused in this movie. And I made the argument. This is just my interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but where you're talking about how we didn't have to go through the origin story again, we didn't have to see the pearls, we didn't have to go back to Crime Alley and the whole bit. I feel like as much as people know the origin of what happened to Bruce's parents, everybody also knows 
the bond and relationship that Bruce and Alfred Mm -hmm. share. That's a part of Batman history that is so well known that perhaps in this movie, because we're having so many other moving parts that they didn't want to focus focus down on that because it's one of those things that you didn't necessarily need to that that moment in the hospital when they're when you know all is revealed and they're talking and he goes and he holds his hand if you know anything about man about batman and batman and alfred that moment's gonna hit whether or not you've spent a half hour with the two of them together or not you see them working together you see alfred saying that he taught bruce how to fight and so obviously they've they have shared a bond in the past and one of the reasons that i think bruce is just where he is at the beginning of that movie is because he's so wrapped up in his mission he's not sleeping he's he's so determined to go out and change gotham overnight that his his idea of who the batman is supposed to be is so skewed at that point in his mission that he's he's just he's completely sidelining alfred and it's not until he almost loses him that he needs to take a step back and be like, oh, my God, like I almost lost my father figure. I um, so um, no, 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 I, I just that's my Alfred thing. And the other thing that I wanted to say really quick, this is jumping way, way ahead. But if we're talking about like growth of character and stuff like that, the moment at the end when they're on the the high rise of the rafters, whatever you want to call it, um, and the last Riddler uh, impersonator or whatever, doppelganger, he takes off the mask and he says, I am vengeance to Batman. And that look on Batman's face mm-hmm. of the tables being turned on him and him being like, oh my God. And then that being followed by him like shoving the debris aside and uh, taking the the new mayor and the, the little kid from the funeral out and then cracking the, the, uh, flare open and leading everybody out of the water and them all following him like uh it's just the way that like he walked around in not broad daylight because the whole movie is very dark but like him walking around a room full of cops yeah and just just batmanning it up with gordon in front of everybody and not sticking to the shadows the entire time and just walking out in the open like the friggin' bat balls on this guy. Like, he's just doing his thing. I I, I liked that part. I thought that was cool. Anyway, somebody jump in. Shut me well, up, that's please. What I kind of like that that Silver Age aspect where Batman was almost a part of the, the GCPD. I mean, this movie is very dark. And I, and I love those scenes that you're talking about where he just kind of appears out of the shadows. But I yeah. also love when he goes into the crime scene or when he goes into the morgue. And he's right there among the police and they all kind of, they side eye him, but they also defer to him because they, obviously there's something's happened over the two years that he's proved himself worthy of Gordon's respect and maybe the city's respect. And that evolution to being vengeance, to being hero, that's a huge leap at the end there because he can't just be beating up people in the dark. He has to lead Gotham into a, a new light. And maybe the whole thing with Alfred is in this whole movie, he's put Bruce Wayne in a box and put him away. And there's always that argument in the Bale movies that, you know, is, is Batman the real face or is Bruce Wayne the mask and all that. In this one, Bruce Wayne is, 
in a box and he only comes out when he's, you know, when he goes to the funeral and maybe with the revelations of the, the Wayne trust being abused and that maybe with his privilege in question, maybe as we go forward, Bruce Wayne can be a hero alongside Batman more than just, you know, this, this trope of, Bruce Wayne's just a mask that that he puts on and Batman's who he really is. So I love the potential to some of those stories that you could see. So yeah. I, the whole thing with the Alfred thing that sort of caught me off guard a little bit was, and I get, I get it. I get, I, I, I no more want to have to hear the whole Alfred relationship retold than I did the whole origin story retold. But I feel as though from the very first interaction between the two of them there was this sort of subservient um, I don't know this sort of like tension this sort of looking down your nose that you tend to he, he, I don't feel like he treated Alfred like a father figure he treated him like an employee um, and he specifically said to him you're not my father um, you know at one scene literally said the words to him I think yeah. what was but even that I felt like, okay, that can exist in the story because he's going through whatever he's going through. What I thought was a little, the most jarring of all was, yeah, he held Alfred's hand while he was in a coma. But then the minute he opens his eyes, he starts grilling him about his father in the past and calling him a liar. Like, you don't know if this guy's got brain damage. You don't know what this, you don't. The first thing he did when he opened his eyes would start calling him out and shitting on him for not, you know, telling him the truth that he believed was the truth. And I was sort of just like, can you just chill for us? Can we just have a beat between him being all right <laughs> and, you know, then maybe coming to a point where you guys have that difficult conversation? Because I felt like I think that that's where weird. some of that privilege comes in, man. He thinks he's entitled to answers. And I just felt like that was for Alfred. I felt like that was just because, because I didn't, I felt like there was more, I felt like between the characters, there was more of that respect given to Jim Gordon, which is earned, don't get me wrong, than there was to Alfred. He, on multiple occasions, complimented Jim Gordon. He never said anything complimentary to Alfred throughout the entire movie. He barely spoke with him with respect throughout the entire movie, but spoke so highly of and to Jim Gordon, which I, I kind of felt like that was a weird balance to, for me. I, I get what you're saying, and, and I don't know, maybe I think because Gordon, well, Gordon, would, like him and Gordon were doing the thing. Like Gordon was his his Robin essentially for this story of his companion in fighting the crime against Gotham. Meanwhile. Alfred was just Alfreding around the manor. Alfreding like, around at the this manor point for in his life, years raising him. Oh, I know, dude. I I know, I know. I'm I am totally aware of all these things. I'm just I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who is so consumed about this mission that they've appointed for themselves that he's just blind to that shit at this point in his life, and he but he he figures it out. By the end of this movie, after stuff, after, you know, stuff hits the fan with, with Alfred, he, and like, not only does he figure it out, but he figures it out after it's beaten into him by almost like reality itself, where he realizes what a, what a little douche he's been 
for for the duration of this movie, and he almost lost person that is is the most important to him, and he needs to change. He needs to. He needs, as my dad used to say, he needs to smarten up. I feel like that revelation didn't come until he almost lost Selena. Yeah, I felt like again. I felt like these two new characters in his life were given more of his emotion than the person who raised him, and I thought that was troubling. He, I felt yeah. like he was willing to risk everything to save Selena's soul than he was to simply, you know, give the man who raised him a minute to recover. Um, I just felt like that was, it just seemed like an odd relationship shift. I think his bat priorities are messed up. <laughs> That's what I think. But the Selena thing wasn't a bat priority. That was a... That was a keep it in your pants priority, but what? But another that's another situation altogether. I just felt like that really because at one point I felt like okay, he's he was being a little bit of an ass to her as well by putting her in there as bait, but then it seemed like that turned on the dime, um, and their relationship. And I, I understand you have to sort of move that story along because we all know where the relationship is going to go between the two of them. Um, I, I I I I don't know. I, I just felt like his. The depth of that's what I'm thinking of. The depth of his emotions were uneven at times throughout the movie. Um, he showed his trauma very well. Um, I felt like them capturing his trauma and and relating it back to you know his his belief system in his father and belief in his his parents and when that was all ripped away by Falcone and and, and others. I, I I felt like he played that. Very, very well. I just feel like, as a from a, a bird's eye view, the overall arc of his emotional maturity was uneven at times um, in places. So, yeah, that's all. All right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. If that is how you feel, that is how you feel. And I could be, I could be projecting a lot of stuff onto this movie as well. Like I, you all know how I get when I really, really like something. Like I find things in it or, or sometimes even create things or like, are you sure? <laughs> um, so I, I, I just, mm, I dug it. All right. Let's, um, let's see. Uh, do we want to hit anything else? Bob, you said that you wanted to talk about the Riddler for a little bit. Would you like to do that? Sure. I, this whole gimp nerd Riddler serial killer. I didn't, didn't dig at all. I know they're pulling this, as they did another bit later on from the Earth One stuff, which isn't supposed to count, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's. I may have missed some stuff with the Riddler over the years. I'm not saying it should be Frank Gorshin, but I this serial killer silliness in the mask, I just didn't didn't like at all. And th- that then plays into the, the detective sort of aspect you guys are talking about. There's a little bit of that. He answers some riddles here and there. But as in the Nolan films, Batman's completely ineffectual at stopping people from getting murdered, about stopping this city being flooded and hundreds, if not thousands of people dying right just in Gotham Square Garden. And then he's the inspiration for hope. Okay, you kind of let this all happen at a certain level because you weren't very good at your job. Uh, The Riddler escapes and it's only he went down the fire escape. 
Or a little later on, it's my dad lays carpet, so I know what that is. Uh, well, shouldn't you? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not saying you should be Sherlock Holmes at this stage of his career and know everything about every cigar ash to ever come down the road or every cufflink that someone wears. But I, yeah. I, the, the, I didn't see a lot of. Well, he, he he throws some crap on the floor and draws a big question mark and some lines. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm I, I'm saying I don't want to I don't want to pee on anyone's cornflakes here. But I, no, I saw, no, no. I saw I, a much I felt, different movie than you guys did. I felt like the gears were turning uh, throughout the movie as he was trying to. So I mean, he solved the riddles right away. But well, so could an eight year old kid with a riddle the, book. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but like pulling pulling the pulling the carpet up and finding the map underneath. He only finds, he only like pulls that. up the carpet because the cop tells him it's a carpet tool. He didn't figure that out. The policeman ah, did. This is the growing the growing pains Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I could see that. See, I the I think the Riddler. I enjoyed Paul. I you know I actually saw an interview with him the other day, and it's Dano, not Dano, which I've been saying Dano for ever since there will be blood. And he said his own name the other day, and it was Dano. And I was like, get out of here! You don't know your own name. Um, I think that the I I haven't really formed a like a full opinion about him yet. I thought his performance was very very out there, and there were times where I was really taken by it. And be like, man, he's really he's really really going for it. And then there were other times where I was kind of laughing at it and like be like, all right, guy, like maybe maybe calm it down. But I did. I did kind of delight in the madness and kind of the weird. They did like a little bit of a Bane Bane speak thing with his voice and that mask and and just having it be so extreme. Um, well, that's the but, whole thing with the Zodiac and the Zodiac Killer and like the 1970s chase for him and when he was on like television, like call maybe called into television shows and, and things like that. He he wasn't. He wasn't like the most physically impressive and accomplished person. He almost relished more in the fact of of being the Zodiac rather than being a mass murderer. And I kind of get, I, I think they're using the name Riddler here. It, it it didn't feel like what Bob is saying, like the classic Riddler um, character. Oh, he'll always be the best. Well, it would have been he better will. if they would have done like, and, and it's hinted at in the movie with the, the whole... Um, Elliot murder the um that goes back to the character of Hush who was saying yes <laughs> yes it would have been better maybe if they did use Hush rather than the Riddler but I don't think that that name would have would have hit with the audience like the Riddler would have did but that's the point I was making but remember in the animated movie Hush mm-hmm. the Riddler be- ends up being Hush yeah, that's that's in the that's in the Jeff Loeb stuff. Yeah, it just yeah. seemed weird to me. Oh yeah, so the, many, and the, there are so many carryovers from the animated movies to this, and the Long Halloween. There's so many ties into the yeah, long yeah, yeah. Halloween. Didn't they even like when they're when he's watching the projector? There was a a, a word that flashed up yeah. that said "hush." hush. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was okay. the that was the whole hint at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a sucker for prosthetics and I just, I know we mentioned him before, but I don't want to, I don't want to go get out of this conversation without saying just how absolutely incredible of a job they did with Colin Farrell 
as Oswald Cobblepot. You can't even tell it's him. He, everything from his voice to mm-hmm. his mannerisms, just he, he was great. Like yeah. he was, he was funny. He was interesting. He looked just unrecognizable. Like that's the kind of thing that when the, the awards come up, if this isn't nominated for hair and makeup, I'm going to yeah. lose it. Um, yeah, they they want to give, you know, Jared Leto a chance to do his Gucci thing and nominate that. You better nominate this guy. Um, really love that club scene when Batman goes into the club and all those red and black lights start coming down and that music kicks in. Um, the Batmobile when like they get out of the warehouse and all yeah. of a sudden in the in the alley, that thing just fires up and it was like, oh man, and that that chase scene. Of them blowing through those streets and everything really? was pretty neat. I didn't, that was a good scene. I, I didn't like that at all. Oh, I love that. To me, the choreography of the chase, you need the geography. And we got lots of close ups of faces and hands and steering wheels and, and tires and uh, never, never felt like I was watching, you know, the French Connection or Bullet or. No, oh, I see. I liked that there were a lot of shots where, like, it almost looked like the camera was on the hood of the car, yeah. and you had that almost like Coke bottle fisheye lens on the driver, and the rest was just kind of like blurred and 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 scratched out. And well, that's, I, again, well, that's what like, cheesed me off completely. Yeah. Now, see, I, like, as like a stylistic thing, like that's my jam. Like yeah. the almost like um, Department of Truth, the uh, the artistry for that book. And that kind of washed out, nightmarish, uh, looking through the lens kind of thing that they had going on for some of this movie. I I, I like that sort of thing. Um, I love the um, yeah. I love the they did the same scene like three times where he knocks on the door to the iceberg lounge oh, and yeah. any of the twins, and it's like that. I I just that I love that that element to this that there was little bits and pieces of humor mixed in with this very dark story. Um, what did I call them? The, the redheaded Ron Perlman's. Yeah. The twins. Yeah. Yes. No, I, yeah, that was good. I, I, I enjoyed the car scene. I love the motorcycle. I love the, if you look at the end of the movie, the motorcycle is the bat cycle. It's got the little bat ears on it. And it's like, he's evolving into the hero that we all, we all know from the books. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's the whole thing is, this is a young new Batman who hasn't established and he hasn't maybe figured out the importance. Some of these things play in his life and the people around him. And if you look at Batman in the comics, it's evolved over time that he's got this giant bat family now. And, you know, maybe that's the direction the movies go in because they obviously want to weave this in to the other DC movies out there. Well, I think this is going to be part of its own universe. Yeah. So the like you'll have the Batman, then you'll have the GCPD stuff mm-hmm. or the Arkham Asylum stuff, and then you'll have the Batgirl stuff oh, too. That that pissed me off that they made her Martha Arkham. She's a cane. Yeah, she is yeah. a cane. No, that's no, how, she no, that's, a, that's an Earth One thing. Is it? Because yeah. ah, she's she's, how, a, he's, she's a drunkard, insane woman. Yeah, it's just. No, Martha. She's Martha Kane. That's how he's her. You know, he's related to Batwoman. Batwoman, exactly. That bothered me. That did bother. Do we do we think that they're the reason they're setting it up this way is because of that whole family secret angle that they're leaning in the direction of the Court of the Owls? 
possibly. But that wasn't part of that. It's, that's again, it's from John or Jeff John's Earth no. One. Yeah, but they can do the whole secret families. And his brother uh, would that, go, that, go that stupid route. No, no, that that Snyder when Snyder created the Court of Owls, that that he he started with the Gates of Gotham. That there's all these like principal families of mm-hmm. Gotham, like the Cobblepots, the Arkham's, the Canes, the Waynes, and and, the, <laughs> and they own and they've and the Court of Owls has basically orchestrated everything from behind the scenes and. I think that they've hint they hinted at that enough that it, it could be a logical next film. Yeah, but she could still be a cane yeah. and not have to be an Arkham, which is Exactly. Know. Oh, I, I'm with you hundred percent, Bob. That yeah. that that that's the one thing that took me out of this film and that she was like in the insane asylum and all of that. I was like, no, no, no. That's that's not that's not Batman's mom. That's not how she's ever been portrayed. Not my Martha. Oh, my Martha. You wouldn't scream that out in a you know, tough moment. <laughs> Man, all right, I'm writing that down. <laughs> all right, um, I think I think I'm good. Does anybody else want to uh, throw anything else out here? <gasps> New episode of Let's Play just came out. Yours. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Anybody else want to say anything before we uh, do a couple of house clean and wrap up things? Nope. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. No, we're good. All right. Uh, the Batman. Catch it. <laughs> go see it. Um, Let me see. Let me go back to my outline here. Um, couple of quick. Oh, wait. Let's talk about the uh, the books that we're looking forward to this week. John, what are you picking up? Oh geez, uh, Detective Comics ten fifty six. I am Batman mm-hmm. seven. Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes two. Naomi season two number one. Uh, Superman Son of Kal nine. King of Spies four. Jeff Lemire and Dustin wins Little Monsters number one. Uh, yes. Radiant Red number one. Amazing Spider Man number ninety two. Devil's Reign five. Hawkeye Kate Bishop five. Marauders Annual 1, Thor 23, and then I'm probably going to get the X-Deaths of Wolverine and X-Live. Damn! I know, this is one of those weeks. That's a that's a lot of comicsology receipts. <laughs> oh no, these are all physical, dude. Oh, are they? I get most of my books still physical. Oh, look at you. I think the only one that I might pick up digitally would be the... Um, uh, none of these, actually. No, I'm good. I'm physical. Do you do you you actually go to your shop to pick up your stuff, or you have it mail ordered? No, God, no. I go every Wednesday. Oh man! All right, we're gonna we're gonna dig into your 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 Wednesday ritual out on another podcast okay. right now. But I want to know what it is. Uh, Bob, what are you picking up? Uh, with any luck at all, Trial of the Amazons one, Nubia six, Batgirls four, also Hawkeye, Kate Bishop. There's a Women of Marvel special, I do believe, this week as well as the new Spider-Gwen into the Gwenverse and Captain Carter number one. Yeah, nice. Aaron, what are you getting? The Blood Syndicate 11 through 25. <laughs> <laughs> DC Infinite Frontier. <laughs> That's your plan for the next uh, next week or oh, so? And I think Icon and Rocket come out on DC Infinite. There you go. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Uh, for me, I am uh, Batgirls, Detective, I am Batman, Naomi, Superman, Son of Kal-El, Trial of the Amazons, Captain Carter, Devil's Reign, Hawkeye. I might try the Punisher number one. It's, uh, 
Jason Aaron. What's his face? Aaron. Um, why can't I remember his name? Jason, Jason Aaron. Aaron. Jason Aaron doing the Punisher. I might pick that up. Uh, Spider Gwen, Gwenverse number one, Strange Academy, The Good Asian, Little Monsters, Monkey Meat number three, Seven Secrets number 15, and Sweet Paprika number eight. Uh, and God knows how many webtoons I will devour between okay. now and next week. All of them. Uh, no, <laughs> there's too many. But speaking of which, uh, there is a new episode since the last time that we were here of Thirsty on Tune for Everything is Fine, which I talked about on this show a couple of weeks ago. This is our deep dive into Everything is Fine. I have not I, – I had so much fun talking with Bronwyn and Chris about this series. It is absolutely phenomenal. It is filled with – with spoilers, like just from the from the jump. So if you've not read Everything is Fine, go read it on Webtoon for free. It's incredible. First season, it's on hiatus right now, so you can get caught up. Uh, or if you just want to listen to us have a ton of fun, go and download that episode. It is on the main uh, Talking Comics feed right now. And uh, there is also an episode that Bronwyn and Chris did for Teenage Mercenary, which I talked about um, earlier this podcast. So go and check that one out, too. Uh, does anybody else have any closing statements? They want to share anything? Nope. No? No. Nope. All right. Uh, one last little point of order, and then we will get out of here. I don't want to say too, too much. But uh, so you might have noticed that we have not been really talking about the website or anything uh, in the last couple of episodes. That's because everything has been kind of in flux. Uh, the short story is that we got hacked and needed to basically gain the rights to the Talking Comics name and website. And we are changing ownership, changing uh locations and getting a new host and doing a whole new website and a whole lot of stuff. Uh, we are going to be finalizing our plans this week and then going and building that. And so before not too long, there will be a brand new talking comics uh, hub for everybody to go to. And uh, there might be some surprises uh, along the way as we build that out because uh, we will be in charge of uh, the site wholesale and decide what we're going to do with that, who we're going to host on it, uh, and who is going to be a part of the extended Talking Comics family. So we will let you know that's going to take a couple of weeks. Uh, but once it's up, you will be, well, not the first people to know about it, but <laughs> right, be right behind us. Uh, and if anything major happens, we'll, we'll, of course, update you on this show. Uh, and if any of our contributors are listening uh, hang tight. We will be contacting everyone. In the meantime, enjoy the review folder. <laughs> it's it's it'll help you with your uh, comicsology woes for sure. All right. Uh, if there's nothing else, we've reached the end of this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. 
Bob, where can our listeners find you? Still the old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Wonderful. Aaron, where are you? At Aaron J. Amos. John? At John P. Burkle. Hooray! Joey is at Joey Braccino online. I am at dead underscore anchoress on Twitter and Instagram. So for Bob... Paula! For Aaron. Wow. (laughs) For John. Good night. And for me... Thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. John, did you see the movie? Yeah, I did. I went yesterday. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, cool. I went All with right. my son, though. That was probably not the smartest idea. Because he had a... Uh, he's like, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, buddy, the Batmobile just went through a, a gas truck. You gotta hold it. <laughs> oh, no, because you have to go with him. Yeah, because I, I just can't send him on his own yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Like, you'll be okay, right? I was like, is this like an emergency? Is this like DEFCON 1 or DEFCON 5? He goes, I don't know (laughs) what that means.